The UN says that humanity stands on the brink of catastrophic man-made climate change. But is it true? Not a chance. But we do stand on the brink of catastrophic government policies that threaten to ruin the nation our forefathers built and defended against tyranny. So what drives the climate scare, Jay? Besides simple ignorance, the scare is driven by corporate greed and the desire of governments to control all aspects of our lives, Tom. Is this part of something more sinister? Indeed it is. Whether it's climate change or a pandemic or socialism, it really means sacrificing your rights and accepting the tyranny of the fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy. It must be stopped. This is The Other Side of the Story with Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris of the International Climate Science Coalition. President Biden wants the U.S. to become a nation powered by electric vehicles. He has announced $15 billion will be devoted to building a national network of one half million charging stations by 2030. Embedded in his proposed $1.7 trillion infrastructure plan is a whopping $174 billion to boost the domestic EV market. And things are equally crazy in California. Last year, Governor Newsom issued an executive order requiring sales of all new passenger vehicles to be zero emission by 2050. Ha! Huh, no matter what these two say, Jay, and no matter how much money's pumped into electric vehicles, they will never power America. I think, Tom, you and I may be the only ones that have figured this out. Uh, we have written an article that a number of people that I sent it to before it was published in America Out Loud uh, said they thought it was the best article ever written on the subject because it's totally persuasive that all the plans of the president and the governor of California can never happen while everybody is railing against the idea of getting rid of all our fossil fuels and uh, God knows where they think the electric's going to come from to power our electric cars. It cannot happen. Not, it's not a matter of our opinion. Uh, it's not a matter of politics. It's a matter of the physics of, of energy production and feeding it into the cars. It cannot happen. And I'm excited that we have an opportunity in the show today to discuss the many, many factors that make it impossible. Well, isn't one of them the fact that they're just too expensive? I mean, what does a Tesla cost anyway for a run-of-the-mill Tesla? Well, actually, uh, Elon Musk has done a better job of bringing his prices down and producing uh, more inexpensive cars. I mean, Everything started out with the affluent uh, car uh, of about 90 to 100,000 minimum and even more if you get uh, uh, extras on it. But uh, the last two years, he started producing cars closer to the $40,000 range. They're still $10,000 more than a comparable internal combustion car. But he is focusing on trying to make more cars for the average uh, person. So the price differential will go down, but there are many other reasons that it's impossible. Uh, the price differential may be the number one reason right now, but that, that could disappear in the next 10 years. 
isn't it also a problem to do with the batteries? Don't they cost something like $10,000 each and you'd need three or four of them in the lifetime of an EV? That's exactly right. And what's going to do there is that uh, used cars are going to become prohibitive. Uh, a Tesla battery does cost $10,000 and they'll probably only last uh, about uh, five years and have to be replaced. And so while the average car on the road today is 12 years old, that 12-year-old car where an electric would be on its third battery and probably would preclude the buying of uh, used electric cars. So that's just one of many problems. And again, I like to stress for our listeners the idea that, uh, in my mind, electric cars will ever exceed 10% of the cars on the road uh, is impossible. It's, uh, it's not a, a prediction, an opinion. It is physically impossible. Huh. So it's kind of like somebody sells you a car and says, well, you know, after 45,000 miles, the gas tank will be completely gone and it'll take you $10,000 expenditure to replace the gas tank. And oh, at 80,000 miles, it'll also do the same. You'll have to replace the gas tank again at $10,000. Doesn't sound like a very, very good deal. No, that's a, a perfect analogy, uh, Tom, that is going to be prohibitive. We just don't have uh, a track record that they could measure it. But uh, going back to Tesla, one thing I'm sure of uh, is that Elon Musk, whatever he does, he will succeed. I don't think Ford and Chrysler and General Motors will succeed with their uh, electric cars. But uh, Elon Musk probably is actually the smartest guy in the room and he'll figure out how to work it uh, for Tesla. I mean, you look at the price of Tesla stock. Most people recognize how smart he is. He seems to overcome problem after problem. And uh, so his stock sells at you know ab absurd levels, but people have confidence in it and think it'll just keep going up. So uh, he will be a multi-billionaire, I think, forever. And uh, he'll succeed but none of the other car makers will succeed in a, in a big way. On the other hand, they may, they may be aware of, of what we are aware, that there is a very limited amount of uh, cars they can sell, and maybe they'll match their production to it. And regardless of how much subsidy the government gives them, and they'll continue to give them a lot of subsidy, other problems that we'll discuss later in the problem in the program will preclude uh, them producing uh, crazy amounts of electric cars. Just one further point on the cost before we move on, because as you say, there's many other factors. A new study by the MIT Energy Initiative, they concluded that it'll be more than a decade before EVs become price competitive with fossil fuels. But you know, I doubt very much that they actually included this constant replacement of batteries in there. You know, so you might be able to get your car for approximately the same cost as a fossil fuel powered car, perhaps a decade from now, but you got this battery trouble. And, and that brings us to the source of materials, the raw materials needed to make the batteries. I mean, those are usually generally minerals that are produced mostly in China. So, I mean, does this make the U.S. more and more dependent on China? Oh, it does for sure. And uh, we have a, a president, an environmental protection agency that will not allow us to mine 
for these rare earth materials that are required in the electric car. Uh, so in a sense, we're shooting ourselves in the foot in terms of being independent as car manufacturers of electric cars. And we become uh, more and more uh, dependent on China. And while it appears the current administration uh, doesn't seem to mind this, they love having a close relationship with uh, China, which is eating our lunch in so many ways and stealing our uh, intellectual property. Uh, I don't think this administration is going to be in office for very long, uh, actually a short time in uh, terms of the push to electric cars. And I think uh, other administrations will not want to have a bigger and bigger relationship with China as far as desiring electric cars. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, on the 25th of May, there was a Reuters article published that said Biden looks abroad for electric vehicle metals in below the U.S. miners. And I'll just read the very beginning of this. U.S. President Joe Biden will rely on allied countries. Fortunately, a lot of it will probably be China to supply the bulk of the metals needed needed to build electric vehicles. The plans will be a blow to U.S. miners who had hoped Biden would rely primarily on domestically sourced metals as his campaign had signaled last autumn. Oh, my goodness. So did he promise he was going to boost mining in the U.S.? I guess so, eh? Well, he promises everything to get votes and then uh, stabs everybody in the back. I mean, all the people working on the XL Keystone Pipeline are certainly those that will not be uh, voting for them again if they did in the, uh, in the first place. Uh, I like to explain every week we have this radio program to our listeners that they can be uh, optimistic in terms of how long the insanity of this administration will last. They certainly do have four years in office, uh, but they control the House and the Senate. Uh, I will bet all the tea in China, if they're still making tea in China, because they're <laughs> so busy making other uh, products to sell to us, I will bet anything that they will lose the House of Representatives. There's virtually no chance that they can retain the House. They only have a four or five uh, delegate lead right now, and that will disappear in 2022. Hopefully, there are enough uh, even Democratic senators that will be beaten uh, by more uh, intelligent and balanced Republican senators in that uh, midterm election in 2022. A third of them will be up. So once they lose the Congress, which gives them uh, the same kind of support right now that the media does, working in lockstep with the administration, uh, he will not be able to get away with as much of the crazy resolutions he's passing executive order after executive order. Uh, he, he won't be able to get away with as many, and his power without the Congress behind him will diminish. And then there is little question that they will lose the White House in four years. And if you look at all the things they're talking about, uh, their dates are 2030, 2035. They're demanding things that are uh, going to be years after they're out of office. And so, again, that's an optimistic point. I don't want our audience to be too upset with all the craziness they're reading about, because most of these things are not going to happen. Uh, during the term of this administration. Mm -hmm. For people who want to actually read about this, we actually wrote a column on it on June 1st. It's on the America website, America Out Loud website. It's called No Joe, 
electric cars will never power America. And right near the beginning of that piece, we have a graph that shows where, where rare earths are being mined around the world. And just recently, there's been a bit of an expansion in the United States and some other countries, but it's still predominantly China. And the other point is processed manganese, manganese, I should say manganese. This is used for the batteries, I understand. And China's tightening their grip on the global supply of man manganese. So in fact, they're currently producing 90% of the world's manganese products. So once again, this is forcing us to rely on a country that is likely to employ slave labor, perhaps children. From that point of view, Jay, I mean, do you think progressives should be concerned about where our rare earths and manganese and other minerals are coming from for these? They should be, but they definitely are not. Uh, progressives mm -hmm. should be called regressives. And really, all they care about is power. They want to defeat capitalism. All of our listeners are hearing about the wokeism now. Uh, we're hearing about critical race theory, uh, the things that are trying to turn this country around, eliminate our constitution. So while sure, uh, progressives many years ago were the party of the little people, the deprived people, uh, now that is no longer true. And they, when you use the word likely being mined by slave labor, youth labor, I would eliminate the word likely. I don't think there is any question about it. The whole Chinese program has very little value to life as we do in this country. They have 1.3 billion people and they lost uh, a huge number of people during the uh, pandemic. And I don't think it concerned them at all. I I'm still convinced that uh, the whether it was an accident or not, that uh, the virus got out of their bio experimental lab. Uh, when it did, they saw a great example to take advantage of it, uh, let it go around the world. And they were the only country whose uh, economy benefited by it. They just sold more and more to the rest of the world. So uh, likely slave labor removed, likely. They're a country whose value of human life is significant less than ours. So when they're selling these cars, they should be saying, buy our electric car made with slave labor, child labor, and environmentally destructive products. Wow, that sounds like a really green energy source. You know, it's interesting because not only then are the batteries too expensive, but they're made under horrible conditions. And, and also, when you actually look at it, where does the power come from to power all these batteries? Yeah, it's, it's amazing that we haven't yet decided to call them coal cars instead of electric cars, because that's where the energy comes from. It's either natural gas or coal. And it's kind of funny that the public in general is not awoken uh, to that because they just think you plug it in. And they, they don't even see any cost to the electricity that uh, charges them. And they have no idea where the power comes from. What thrills them is the electric car does not have a tailpipe. Uh, the tailpipe is miles away in the power plant that serves their community. And uh, they'll wake up to it. But, you know, they don't need to wake up to it with very small numbers of electric cars. We're 
we're well yet under 2% of all the cars on the road. And with that small amount, it just isn't going to matter because our power plants can handle uh, something under 2% of all our cars. But uh, they, they cannot and will not ever be able to handle even uh, 10%. And, and it's even more complicated than that. David Wojak, a director of the Climate Change Debate Education Project, he said this, I'll just read his quote. There is almost no excess generating distribution or transmission capacity in the United States or globally for that matter. So a lot of new expensive power plants and power lines will be needed if electric vehicles are ever to become popular. The EV grid simply does not exist. So if they did build the number of cars that Biden said, we just wouldn't have the power to power them. That's exactly right. And uh, I think uh, there was a study done by Lawrence Livermore Laboratory of the U.S. Department of Energy that calculated that uh, currently in the United States, we generate 11.4 trillion kilowatt hours of electricity. Uh, you don't need to know. It's just a gigantic number. But if we were to all have all electric cars, we would need to increase uh, that amount of electricity by eight and a half trillion kilowatt hours, uh, which uh, right now we only have an infinitesimal amount of our energy used for electric cars. There's no way that we can build, I, I mean, I suppose maybe in a half a century, somehow we could uh, add 80% of our current electricity in this country uh, to our grids, but that is doubtful. Certainly, we can't add a significant amount to allow the president of the United States and all the green people uh, to have their way and get rid of internal combustion cars and replace them all with electric cars. And these, these are the numbers that make what they're trying to do absolutely crazy, and the public hasn't woken up to it. Uh, if everybody listening to this show We'll read our article on American Out Loud and listen to all we're going to be saying in this hour and share it with their friends. Uh, I think we'll be able to spread this knowledge and more and more people will wake up uh, not to the unwise aspect of electric cars, but to the impossibility of large scale electric cars in this country. Now, let's say I was still keen on electric <laughs> and I wanted to go on a 270 mile trip in my Tesla. Oh boy, it's going to take me only four and a half hours to drive. That sounds pretty good. I mean, what's the problem with that? Well, uh, the problem is uh, unless they can find a supercharging station, which are uh, not yet uh, widely around the country for Teslas, it's going to take them six and a half hours to recharge their batteries. And that will uh, bring their average, uh, let's see, if they average 60 miles an hour for 270 miles, that's four and a half hours. But now add six and a half hours to it. You've your, reduced your average speed to under 25 miles an hour. And it's interesting, what are they going to be doing while they're charging their car for six and a half hours? And their entire trip has to be planned around uh, being sure to find a charging station and they might get lucky and find a, a supercharging uh, Tesla station. But these are small numbers of people that can do that. So 
there's always going to be a, a range problem. The problem right now with electric cars, if they're not used in your neighborhood, is range anxiety. Can you really go where you want to go and uh, find a place to get more electricity into your car? We know there are few places you can go without finding a gas station to fill the gas tank of your internal combustion car. You know, let's say you were doing your drive that you did recently from Ohio to Georgia. And uh, I guess then you'd have to stop every 270 miles to sit there for six and a half hours. They'd need to have hotels besides the charging stations for people to take a break. Is that right? That after 270 miles of your trip, you just simply have to stop and charge for six and a half hours. And, and that is the average range of an electric uh car, the, the really good cars are 270 miles. A Tesla can go uh, further. Certainly the $100,000 Tesla can go almost twice as uh, far on a charge. But you're exactly right. And uh, in our family, we'll drive anywhere we can get within 10 hours. Beyond that, we start looking uh, at an airplane and we drive uh, to our uh, son and daughter-in-law and our grandkids in the Atlanta area was exactly nine hours and very easy, good roads and, and quite delightful. If we had to stop in the middle for uh, six and a half hours to uh, charge a battery, assuming we had a, a Tesla with that range or uh, perhaps a few of the other cars will get up to that level, uh, we would not have uh, done it, probably stayed overnight somewhere and uh, got recharged. Yeah, so your uh, nine-hour trip would have changed into a 15-and-a-half-hour trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and that's uh, that definitely is beyond our limit for a drive. My wife loves to drive. I love to work in the car. Works out very well. But huh. uh, that, that would be the end of that for uh, us. So we would not, under any circumstances, be interested in an electric car, even if we you know, thought they were uh, viable in a big way, which they're not. Now, just before we take our break, we should talk a little bit about cold climates because you're in a cold climate. So am I in Canada. I mean, batteries use electrolytes. Don't they actually reduce in their activity when it gets cold? Uh, yes, they do. And uh, let me state that 50% of all the electric cars currently on the road in the United States are in California. And uh, the bulk of them are in Southern California. So they don't have a, a cold problem. The rest of the country, the other 49 states, share the other 50% of the electric cars, about uh, 1% per state on the average. And uh, in many of those climates where it is cold, those people know that their range during the winter is considerably less than their range in the summer. So that's another thing that uh, automatically precludes the adoption of electric cars in a significant part of the country for a significant part of the year. Mm -hmm. And what about trying to charge your battery overnight if it's like minus 30 in your garage? I mean, I understand that some of these batteries, actually it's dangerous to try and charge them when it's super cold. There are those uh, problems. And one of the things you, you mentioned a good point uh, charging at night, the big uh, pro electric car people say, oh, well, it, there's no problem with the need for electricity because we charge them all at night when uh, nobody's using electricity and there's 
quite a surplus. Well, that really uh, doesn't work. It certainly works for some people. But again, we're talking about uh, administration people. We're talking about the Green Deal people that want to get rid of the internal combustion engine and uh, turn them all into electric cars and uh, charging at night uh, doesn't make a dent for the nation. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like, okay, it's very cold tonight, so I won't be able to go to your wedding tomorrow, or I can't get into work because I can't charge my EV battery. <laughs> I love what you just said, Tom, because you're right. You've, you've injected the idea that it will interfere uh, with the normal life of a normal family, exactly as you point out. Yeah, and here I'm seeing in one of our previous articles, you were saying that a typical electrolyte conducts a fourth as much at minus five degrees C. So we're not talking about like minus 40, even just minus five, as it does at 55 C, which would be a and very hot day. That's correct. <laughs> that's the temperature we average here in the winter in, uh, in central Ohio. Mm -hmm. And you're getting a fourth as much electrolyte conductivity at those temperatures. My goodness, that sounds pretty terrible. Well, in the second half of our show, we're going to talk about the driver of the, the uh, EV, and that is the idea that we somehow are going to reduce carbon dioxide. Not that we're terribly concerned about that, but if people are concerned about it, they got to take another look at it because that certainly is not a realistic driver for, for EVs. Similarly, the used car market, what would it be like if you had a Tesla on your driveway and several other people on your street did as well? What would really happen? So we're going to get into those things and actually talk about Biden's plans and how much of them really make sense, because really, they can't happen in any time in the near future. It's something out of Star Trek, unfortunately. So we'll be right back after the break. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -E -L -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Today, America stands at the crossroads of history. Our actions will determine the fate of our nation. Well, that journey starts here and starts now. We invite you to join us in making the ultimate difference. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters. Turn notifications on and stay in the know. You'll find all that back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all. The International Council on Clean Transportation, an independent nonprofit organization 
They say the following on their website. I'll just quote it directly. They, which is EVs, can produce no emissions at the vehicle tailpipe and much lower life cycle wheel-to-wheel emissions. Accordingly, businesses, governments, and non-governmental organizations are turning, turning to electric vehicles to dramatically lower oil use, reduce carbon pollution, which of course it isn't, eliminate local air pollution, and spur economic development. Long-term planning scenarios indicate that the global vehicle fleet will have to be almost entirely made up of electric vehicles powered by mostly renewable sources by 2050 if the world is to avoid worst-case global climate scenarios. Well, Jay, that sounds pretty pessimistic because I don't think we're going to ever get to the point where almost the entire fleet of world vehicles is electric. What do you think? Well, it's uh, physically impossible and uh, it, it, it can't happen now. It, it will really never, uh, will never happen. But mm-hmm. you, uh, you said a word, carbon. You said there they want to reduce carbon footprint. And I don't care what radio show we're doing here on the other side of the story. We can never stop repeating over and over again that the the enemy, the opposition, the, the haters of our lifestyle and our constitution use the word carbon uh, when, of course, they're talking about carbon dioxide, the molecule of life that makes it possible on Earth. And they use the word carbon from which uh, we're not talking about at all uh, because we know carbon as soot, coal black. Uh, we think of it in a, in a negative way. We don't even have a carbon footprint. Uh, what they're talking about is a carbon dioxide footprint. But as more and more people recognize we only live here because carbon dioxide allows for photosynthesis and the growth of plants, which allow animals to live, which allow humans to live, we would not be here. And if we didn't have the greenhouse uh, effect caused by carbon dioxide, the earth would be a frozen ice ball. So everything they're talking about is counter to reality. It's actually uh, lies. And so the electric and the electric vehicle uh, does not any longer reduce the carbon dioxide footprint if they were honest and used carbon dioxide instead of carbon because the production of batteries and all of the rare earths that are required in electric vehicle increase the amount of a carbon dioxide that is emitted in the in the product so they're not really so much talking any longer about miles per gallon, uh, because that's kind of uh, means it's pro-environment. There is nothing pro-environment about the production of an electric car because of what it takes to have a battery in that car. By the time an electric vehicle ends up in the showroom, it's already produced twice as much CO2 emissions as a conventional car because it takes so much more processing of the minerals and mining and and manufacturing. That just takes so much more energy and activities. So they end up with more CO2 emissions. You have to actually use the EV vehicle for quite a long time before it comes equivalent to uh, 
normal conventional vehicle. And, you know, within that statement from the International Council on Clean Transportation, there's just so many things wrong. I mean, first of all, clean, okay, they're focused on CO2, which is not unclean, but they also talk about lower emission. Well, they say it actually carefully. They say eliminate local air pollution. So, yeah, I suppose in the vicinity of the car, the air pollution is lower. But as you pointed out, they got to get the electricity somewhere. So somewhere else they're producing the air pollution. Spur economic development. Now, that's an interesting one. I was reading that in Europe, for every job created in the green sector, it led to more jobs destroyed in the rest of the economy because of the huge increase in prices. And this brings up one other point, Jay, I think you were mentioning in a previous article. Right now, when we buy gasoline for our cars, we pay a fair bit of tax to help support the roads and the infrastructure and the bridges and everything else. How are they going to support that if they're not paying gas tax? Oh, they are going to support it. And the owners of electric vehicles within the next year or so are going to find a very significant tax on their vehicle registration built into whether it's an annual or every three-year registration of their vehicle will be a, a tax that will have to replace uh, the taxes they were paying on gasoline for the internal combustion engine. So uh, they're, not, they're definitely not going to save that. We are not going to let our roads go into disrepair. It's one of the, the areas of uh, infrastructure maintenance in this country that we really do uh, keep up with, and we will be keeping up with it. The more electric cars, the more that tax will come through vehicle registration. But again, since I don't think there are going to be that many electric cars on the road, it isn't going to make that huge a difference in terms of the amount of less money that we have available for uh, road uh, maintenance. But I want to move into another uh, point you made is that these people think that all of the electricity that they're going to support electric vehicles with is going to come from wind and solar installations uh, because they're going to do away with fossil fuels. And uh, that's physically impossible. Uh, as everybody knows, the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine and they cannot have power plants that are fed just with wind and solar uh, to support the electric vehicles. But their whole point really is never what they're talking about. The goal here is to eliminate fossil fuels on the pretext that uh, the carbon, carbon dioxide emissions is going to create a, a climate change that they're now down to, I don't know, eight or 10 years that the uh, world is going to end as we know it unless we stop doing it. But it has nothing to do with climate change. It has nothing to do with fossil fuels. And it has everything to do with taking away the freedoms of the American people and rationing energy. They know full well that none of their ideas can happen. And all it's going to do is put the nation into a downward spiral where there isn't enough energy to supply our lifestyle. Well, that's what they want. They want to get to the point where the government controls all energy as they reduce fossil fuels and increase wind and solar, and then they have control over everything in our lives. Uh, that's the goal. It has nothing to do with climate change. It really has nothing to do with carbon dioxide. It's destroying capitalism 
implementing socialism, ultimately communism, and taking entire control over every aspect of our lives. I'm reading a book right now called Cynical Theories. It has the word critical crossed out and the word cynical put in on top. And the thing that strikes me is that it's it's actually based on what's called the postmodern thinking. And essentially, they're promoting data-free science. So the facts that you're bringing up, the fact that we'll be out of power, doesn't seem to matter. And I think part of it's because it's based on this ridiculous postmodernism, which bases thinking on storytelling and feelings and things like that instead of provable science or engineering. And it is a little scary because these people who are promoting the woke mentality are actually saying that science itself, the actual use of empirical evidence to generate conclusions, is one of their opponents. They actually want to undermine the entire system of science, our legal system with respect to evidence-based justice. It is really quite frightening when you look at what is the primary driver behind not just batteries and electric vehicles, but the whole movement on the woke liberal side. I mean, am I exaggerating, Jay, or do you think this is a real existential threat, as Biden would say, but one that really is a threat to us? No, Tom, you're you're not uh, in any way exaggerating. In fact, uh, we can look around the nation as it is this very day and find uh, adequate data to support everything you and the book is saying. It's already uh, happening. It's been happening at our universities actually for uh, decades. I am a, a Princeton graduate and I'm uh, attend all of our uh, reunions. If there are any Princeton people in the audience, pretty much uh, everybody has seen me at a reunion for, for the last 40 years, for 20 years. I walked on my hands in the reunion parade in the next 21 <laughs> years. Next 21 years, I rode a unicycle and I'm, I'm never going to go uh, back again. Uh, they have turned the university into a socialist uh, hotbed and their goals are everything that you've described. Frank Lassay, a, a good uh, friend who's worked very much in the energy field, uh, coined a phrase for me the other day. He said, uh, they're into feelings, no longer facts. And mm-hmm. that is hand in hand with you know, doing away with uh, science. Uh, it, I don't understand why, but the saddest part of it, we've all seen it happen within the media, uh, the big billionaire moguls that control our internet, whether it's Facebook or, uh, or Google or Amazon, they've all bought into it. And I understand why that is, because they have all the money to buy anything they can buy in the world. They can't buy power. Capitalism doesn't allow them to buy power, but socialism does. So they really, they really want a, uh, a socialist world. And falling in line with them, sadly, are the CEOs of our major corporations. The majority of the Fortune 500 have fallen in line with the woke mentality. The idea of people are either, they're they're either in charge of by other people or they are the the ones in charge. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're either the oppressed or the oppressor. And it is absolutely a a terrible thing. That's what critical race theory is dividing the whole country into oppressed and oppressors. And socialism 
getting away with fossil fuels, the absurd fear of, of climate change being an existential threat is all intended really eventually to enslave the people and socialism, that's what they do. It enslaves the people and those in charge uh, get the power they want that they are not able to get in a capitalist system. I'd like to read a little bit of a summary of that book. The title, the full title is Cynical Theories, How Activist Scholarship Made Everything About Race, Gender and Identity and Why This Harms Everyone. And here's the brief description. It says, have you heard that language is violence and that science is sexist? Have you read that you shouldn't practice yoga or cook Chinese food? Are you confused by these ideas and wonder how they managed to challenge so quickly the very logic of Western civilization? In this probing and intrepid volume, Helen Prokrose and James A. Lindsay document the evolution of this dogma from its coarse origins in French postmodernism, which, as I say, is the origin of this, to its refinement within activist academic fields. As Pluckrose and Lindsay warned, the unchecked proliferation of these anti-enlightenment beliefs presents a threat not only to liberal democracy, but also to modernity itself. Only through a proper understanding of the evolution of these ideas can those who value science, reason, and consistently liberal ethics successfully challenge this dangerous and authoritarian orthodoxy. So, wow, this is a book I really, really encourage people. You're going to want to listen to parts of it, like I'm listening to it on Audible. You're going to want to listen to parts of it over and over, because as they say here, it is anti-enlightenment. Okay, It's anti the fundamentals of our liberal society. It's anti the idea that we should be open to alternative points of view and have rational decision-based, or I should say evidence-based uh, arguments. All of that they want to throw out to be replaced with feelings and storytelling as our main drivers for how we run society. I mean, it's really quite crazy, Jay. Well, I'll give you a data point that supports this that is shocking to me. And as I said, one of the reasons I will not be going back uh, to Princeton. Princeton University this very week made a decision that in their degree in classics, that they will no longer deal with Latin and, uh, and Greek history because they decided that Roman and Greek history are racist. Huh. Now we're talking thousands of years back in history. They are claiming those societies were racist and therefore they will no longer teach it. Now, remember what I just said. This is a degree in classics. How can you have a degree in classics without teaching Roman and Greek history. You, you can't. They're, they're rewriting everything, and it supports what I said earlier. It's all about feelings and not facts, and uh, your book is absolutely right. Uh, and, and again, back to the electric car, this is just a small part of the whole climate change idea, reducing carbon dioxide emissions, eliminating fossil fuels. But the bigger picture is what you are talking about and it is, it's really about enslaving society. And I don't understand who these people are. One thing I'm sure of, they are very miserable people. They're mean-spirited. They are unhappy. And they want to take their unhappiness out on our nation. Uh, they don't want to see other people happy. It, 
it, it, it may sound crazy to people in our audience, but it is not. I tell a story uh, at a Christmas party not about two years ago. I was sitting at a round just before the pandemic. I was sitting at a round table of people. and We were talking a little politics of uh, uh, conservatism versus liberalism. And I made a statement to somebody on the other side of the table that I had yet, yet to meet a happy-go-lucky, upbeat, happy liberal. A woman sitting next to me who heard me saying this to someone on the other side of the table stood up and started screaming at me that I was absolutely wrong, that she was a happy, upbeat liberal. Everybody at the everybody at the table just almost fell off their seats laughing because she had proved my point as you know one person. Yeah. And I I think this is all part of trying to destroy our constitution, trying to destroy our way of life, ultimately to enslave us. That's interesting because Helen Pluckrose is the narrator of this book, and she specifically says it's a very very pessimistic, negative anticipation type of type of mindset that, that in fact, they're trying to tear things down and rebuild it with something that actually doesn't make any sense. My brother-in-law, when I explained this to him just the other, other day, he said, oh, okay, so they're going to tear everything down. We're going to return to the Stone Age where we're governed essentially by local tyrants. And then maybe after a few generations, we'll start to rebuild towards what? Well, like what we have now. <laughs> that sounds like pretty counterproductive. Just getting back to the the real facts, the evidence, which of course is the opposite of postmodern thinking, we're going to go back to the modern thinking. And that's this. If we take a typical filling station for gasoline, they can service about 2,000 cars in a busy 12 hours. Now, if you're going to match that with electric vehicles, I think you have some numbers on that, Jay, right? Yeah, I think we figured out it cost about $20 million to uh, put in enough electricity uh, to serve uh, that 2,000 cars uh, a day. And uh, that just isn't going to happen. None of the stations have that kind of money. And uh, they're going to need something like 650-watt chargers, estimated cost over $20 million, and a supply of 30 megawatts of power from the grid. Uh, 30 megawatts of power is enough to power 20,000 homes. No one likely thinks about the fact that it can take 30 minutes to eight hours to recharge a vehicle between empty or just uh, topping off. What are the drivers going to do at those stations? I mean, sociologically, the whole concept of a nation of electric cars should make everybody scratch their heads and realize it doesn't fit into our lifestyle. So it cannot happen for uh, multiple, multiple re reasons, and it isn't going to happen. And I, I want to say that if a, a listener on this in our station wants to buy a, an electric vehicle, I have no problem with it on an individual basis, a one by one basis. If you think you'll enjoy having an electric vehicle, no problem at all. That's fine. What we're talking about is they're not going to take over the roads. And I'm, I'm saying, and I'm sure uh, I will not be proven wrong, certainly not in my lifetime, we will not see 10% of our cars electric, not even close. Uh, I'm 85 years old, and 
I hope to live another 20 years, I can confidently say we'll not get to 10% in the next 20 years. Uh, and I don't even think we'll get much past three or 4%, but never in everybody's lifetime will we get past 10%. Everybody's lifetime listening to this uh, radio station will will we get there because it, it, it just can't be done. It's not a matter of opinion, whether you like the electric car, or you don't like it. The nation cannot serve anywhere near over 10% of the cars on the road. So if you're sucking away enough electricity for 20,000 homes for this one filling station, you're not going to really want to have too many electric filling stations near your town, or you just might find that your power is being turned off to devote it to, to the electrical filling station or the electrical charging station. I mean, it doesn't sound like a town is going to want to have too many of these around or they won't have any power for the town. <laughs> well, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's even, it's even worse than that. You really can't have many in your neighborhood or on your, on your block. A home charging station, for example, for a Tesla, requires a 75-amp service. The average house is equipped with a 100-amp service. So on most suburban streets, the electrical infrastructure would be unable to carry more than three houses with a single Tesla. For half the homes on your block to have electric vehicles, the system would be wildly overloaded. So we're really talking about changing the whole electrical structure of any community were all of the people desiring to have an electric car. And again, uh, any listener can probably buy one and there won't be any problem in your neighborhood. And you might very much uh, enjoy the electric vehicle for whatever reason, uh, if you can afford it. Uh, no tailpipe, very quiet. Uh, most of them are probably uh, going to be OK to look at, although I haven't seen uh, too many. I love the Tesla. Very beautiful car that Elon Musk has uh, produced. I don't know yet what Ford Chrysler and uh, General Motors are going to produce, my guess is they won't be quite as attractive. But you can have one. But when they uh, really catch fire in your neighborhood, your electric company may not be able to supply your neighborhood with very many electric cars. The question then becomes, where is this going? I mean, we're going to see Biden waste incredible amounts of money. We're going to see California with their blackouts increasing. I guess they'll get to a certain point and people will suddenly realize this doesn't work. We'll have wasted huge amounts of money and the whole movement will collapse. Is that where you see it going eventually? Tom, I could never have expressed it more clearly than what you just did. You did not waste a word and that will happen, although I'm not even sure we'll get that far. I think really before we would get to the point that you described, could happen, and it can only happen if this administration continues well beyond the four years that the uh, public has voted them into office, or maybe they voted them into office. One is never sure how that election went, but I'm not sure we'll actually ever get to the point that you described. But one thing we <laughs> have already gotten to and we'll get further into, and that's the waste of money. A huge mm -hmm. amount of our, of our tax money will be spent trying to help the car manufacturers make the cars and help every buyer buy the cars. I'd like to just return to the issue of clean energy. The idea that lithium ion batteries, that they're the heart of today's EV industry, of course, that somehow this is environmentally friendly. I mean, if you actually look at it, there's been all kinds of environmental harm that have been related to lithium mining. 
For example, in Tibet, we've seen mass fish kills, the freshwater supply being consumed in South Africa by mines in their lithium-rich region, huge amounts of fresh water. Even in North America, they use harsh chemicals used to extract this metal. And, and of course, the operations are all very energy intensive, running on diesel generators and require heavy machinery running with fossil fuels. It's interesting, you know, most lithium ion batteries in electric vehicles in Europe were actually produced in Japan and South Korea. This is a, a 2018 report. And they pointed out that 25 to 40% of the electricity generated is from coal. So you're making these batteries with fossil fuels. And you know, it strikes me, Jay, just from a thermodynamics point of view, that you would get a much higher yield out of your fossil fuels if you burned it directly in a vehicle to power the vehicle versus some remote location using it to make electricity, then wiring the electricity to some consumer hundreds of miles away and then putting it into a battery and then driving the vehicle. Surely it's just thermodynamically much more efficient to just use the fossil fuels in the vehicle. There is no question about it. And what you've just shown with all the data that you provided is that an internal combustion vehicle is greener than an electrical vehicle. Uh, mm -hmm. If our listeners ever get a chance to find the movie that Michael Moore made called A Planet for the Humans, Michael is a well-known leftist, but for some reason or other, he decided to work with a producer by the name of Jeff Gibbs to uh, make a movie on renewable fuel. Uh, and he showed that uh, wind and solar is a fraud as considered a green form of energy. And what he did that was absolutely amazing, went around the world and photographed everything going on in producing all the rare earths and all the things that you've described all over the world where they make mine these rare earths. And he compressed everything he did around the world into two minutes of his movie and fast forward. And it was so destructive the, of the environment, you couldn't believe it. You couldn't take your eyes off it because he did it all in, in a two minute segment. And you realize instantly that wind and solar is in no way green. It's in no way good for the environment when you look under the hood of what has to be done to create a, uh, a solar cell or a wind turbine. It's not green at all. And I, I think that the, the leftists that are promoting that we have only renewable energy and electric cars they really know this. This is just a gambit to uh, end capitalism and uh, create socialism in our country, take away personal freedoms. And uh, so far, it's working. But again, uh, I don't think it's going to work for long because these people are digging a hole so deep in terms of going against what this country is built on that they're going to wake up in November of 2022, take back the Congress, and two years later, we'll find uh, a candidate on the Republican side uh, that will easily beat uh, a candidate uh, that would be continuing what the Biden administration is doing virtually every day. Every day, my wife comes to me with a new description of something crazy they're doing. And I say to her, well, it's not going to last long. 
and they're digging the hole deeper that is going to make the rank and the file of our nation's population recognize what has is being done to the country by this administration, and they will get rid of them. I'd like to end off, Jay, by just talking a little bit more about that Michael Moore film. I mean, you're right. It was really extraordinary, especially since it was put together by a very left-wing person. I mean, he's essentially saying, this is my interpretation, that wind and solar power are among the most dirty energy sources on the planet. So what you've got here is you have environmentalists promoting electric cars, which use lithium batteries, which are highly destructive to the environment, using fossil fuel energy sources to make the power to power the batteries and make the vehicles so you're not getting away from fossil fuels anyway. And if, in fact, they tried to generate the power from wind and solar, that too is it terribly environmentally destructive. I mean, for people that care about birds and bats, I mean, bats are not usually something that people are fond of, but they are important to our environment. You know, they kill millions of uh, insects every night. We're, we're, you know, we're happy to have bats. I was reading the other day that billions of birds and bats have been killed by wind turbines over the years. And some bat species are actually being driven virtually to extinction. And it's interesting that in the case of bats, they can die not by hitting, by being hit by the blade, which of course kills birds and bats, but they can die simply because their lungs explode in the low pressure zone behind the blade. And so what happens is you have twice as many bats being killed as birds. So these are bird and bat blenders. They are terrible for the environment with respect to when you're constructing them. We've shown here, I think, today, electric cars are not green. Not only aren't they going to really happen in the big way the government wants, they're, they're not even green. Wind and solar is not green. And carbon dioxide is not bad. It's wonderful. The earth is greening because of it. Well, Jay, that was a great discussion. So if people want to be stuck on the side of a highway with their EV battery depleted in the middle of the winter at night, hoping a tow truck operator comes by who is running on gasoline, yeah, buy an EV. <laughs> but as you say, they can be used as long as you've got something to back you up. So... This is Tom Harris and Jay Lear signing out from the other side of the story.